Hi, fearless readers. It's your host, Tanisha. And today we have with us author Sylvia Hubbard. Hi, Sylvia. Where are you calling us from today? I am calling you from the lovely city of Detroit, Michigan. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Our first summer day is here, so we're happy. Oh, well, I'm in New Orleans, so we're always summery. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like we can go a whole year without whipping out a coat, so Uh, we're pretty. We're good with cold because I hate bugs, so I know that keeps it away, so. (laughs) You kind of get used to it, like you know they're going to be mosquitoes and bugs and just get used to it but the days are really pretty so yeah just blessed to be alive (laughs) oh yeah especially now even if you stay inside still nice to look out the window once in a while yeah so I was checking out your website and you have a lot going on yeah it it's a lot Um, I always tell people, you know, they ask me, how do I do so much? And I say, by the grace of God, (laughs) you know, got to count my blessings that, you know, every endeavor that I try it, you know, it comes out really good or fruitful. And then, you know, I can put that under my belt and keep going. So, um, so, you know, just being an author, of course, number one, Yeah, that's always been my baby of of sorts my not even my hobby but you know it's like breathing to me now and then once I you know I did 23 years of being a single mom and a lot of people were saying I had so much knowledge about being an entrepreneur and raising kids because you know it's three that I know of running around here And so like, uh, I decided to put that together, especially for creatives who are trying to get their dreams together and try to work on their dreams, but, you know, try to raise productive, independent kids. Yeah. It is a challenge. It's every day, every second is a challenge. <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> so I just said, well, I'm going to concentrate on that and just becoming a speaker and encouraging parents encouraging creatives encouraging other writers and other women in general just you can do this you can you can have your cake and eat it too and a lot of people tell you you can't yeah so yeah and then I run also Motown Writers Network so I created that almost the same time I published my book my first book so I did that because it wasn't a lot of literary education around Detroit that's when a lot of creative companies were leaving the city so it was publishing predators out there and I just wanted to find out the information but then I realized other people did too and I just started really sharing it my resources with everyone freely so we were helping writers get to their literary goals but then we were connecting readers to Michigan authors so it became a large labor of love literally yeah Yeah, I I can I understand I understand believe me yeah I mean it's it's great that you do all this stuff especially in your city because like I said I'm in New Orleans and Mm -hmm. we have one group that I'm aware of for writers but it's such a clicky thing and um if you're not in the click you really don't get any help 
Yeah. So and that's how I did feel, especially because I was a I was a romance suspense author. Mm-hmm. So I kind of and then on I was black and I was a woman. Yeah. So I was in like a kind of niche thing, especially back in 2000, where I wasn't literary fiction. I mm-hmm. wasn't even woman's fiction. I wasn't contemporary you know, because I was suspense, you know, so that pushed me out of contemporary, which I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you learn quick like, when you start. Cause it's like, yeah. I thought it was a great book, but then you have to realize, wait, I have to put it in a certain category. Right. And then everybody else puts you in a certain category yeah. and it's like, really, I got to face this too. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I just want to, I just want to publish a book. I just want to make publishing friends and so that's kind of why I did create Motown writers and a lot of people do come to me like terrified well do you accept white writers or yeah. do you accept erotic or do you accept poetry and I'm like if you write you're a writer you are a part of the group and and that's how I am I don't care you yeah. need the education so yes yeah I've had people ask ask me like they want to be on the podcast and they're like but you only do black writers. I'm like, no, I don't. No, I don't. I just do people who are interesting and have something to say. Right. So it's, it's not, just... no, I'm not specifying. It's just, I know when I first started, it was like, I want to hear other people's experience, especially being a black female writer. I want to hear right. your experience. Um, because for the longest time, I was like, maybe I should give this up because people are telling me I should write urban. Well, I don't write urban. I write paranormal. Right. That's all. Oh my God. Yes. Tell me about it. Oh girl, don't get me started. Yeah. So I was like, (laughs) I can't. And and my thing is they say, write what you know. Well, I grew up watching fantasy and sci-fi and horror. So that's where I'm comfortable. And of course, you know, like teen romance comedies, because you have to do that when you're growing up right kind of a thing so that's where I live I don't I'm not an urban writer I could it wouldn't even seem right if I wrote it I'm just yeah because then it was like people would read and they're like well it's based in Detroit so it's urban yeah no it's a suspense romance that's in Detroit I mean just I'm not saying, you know, hey, ethnic things don't happen in it, but yeah. this is not an iceberg slim romance. Yeah. Just- <laughs> yes, it's either that or you have to write like um, inspirational. And I'm like, right. I- I'm trying to inspire myself. I don't think I have it in me to inspire the world right now. So, right. you know, oh it's God. that you have to be one of these two things to, or you have to be like a, Toni Morrison to be a black female writer. It's like, we are so many things. Thank you. I love you. I love you. Girl, where's the plate? I'm ready to give my offering. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean? It's like, you know, and I keep telling, and I tell my daughter this all the time, you don't have to be one thing. You don't, why should you have to be one thing? Because Uh people expect it. Give them what they don't expect right give them you because that's what they don't expect and that's what yeah be real about it and I think that authors that put themselves in those boxes or try to write towards that genre that they feel will be prolific or and then they get frustrated because then they're like oh well I don't see why I haven't been recognized for my work I said because that's not you yeah 
it's yeah. not you and, and you're not going to be recognized until you really feel it's you yeah and like my, my i actually got to see my sister yesterday for after over two months um so we were at her house and we were joking and she was like because we were like all spaced out in the backyard <laughs> and she was telling on a, a real good friend of hers stopped over and they were like we're gonna play a trivia game and my sister's like she can't play Tanisha can't play she she's eliminated <laughs> and they were like she's that good and my sister's like super smart no street smarts whatsoever <laughs> but she can kill it in trivia so I'm like that's the person they're telling to write urban fiction the right. one with no street smarts no the one who would be like if somebody say come in this alley I'll be like okay <laughs> what you doing? Is it books? Is it yeah. books? <laughs> Is it books? What you got? Let me see. So, <laughs> so to tell somebody like me to write urban fiction, it's like yeah. it, it would be the yeah. worst thing ever. I yeah uh, I yeah that's uh, I I mean I guess I don't know I guess people want to you know fit inside the box because they you know that's where they feel comfortable with but. I've never felt comfortable inside the box. So, Me yeah, just hey, mm, you go ahead, do your thing. <laughs> yeah, I've never felt comfortable with. I just it it makes me so crazy because when I talk to people and I work mm -hmm. um, with surgery residents, my day job, so mm -hmm. they'll come in for interviews and they'll sit with me and they'll be like, "Well, where are you from?" And I'm like, "I'm from New Orleans." when did you move here born and raised but you don't talk like you're from here oh you don't have that draw yeah and i'm like well what is what do i you know i sound like i sound but i'm from here <laughs> born and raised oh i just everybody in the city doesn't talk we don't right. speak like lil wayne <laughs> we we don't all have that accent not everybody i think that. that in detroit too because even like foreigners oh you hear me talking they're like are you from detroit were mm -hmm. you born and raised here like yeah and they're like i never can understand everybody always tell me they never can understand people from detroit really? and i'm like yeah they say that we have like a some sort of accent or dialect i don't know <laughs> And I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm from here. I've always been from here and I don't know what to say. I just, yeah. I talk like this. I talk yeah. like how my parents taught me to talk. Yeah. I think it's the, the perceived notion that all black people or all people from a certain region have a certain way they speak. Right. Like, I'm like, mm. and it was funny. I watched that movie, Black Klansman. Did you ever see that? I, I love that. Oh, yeah. God. And, and the, the David Duke was talking to the undercover policeman. He was like, you can't be black because you don't say your R's, you know, a certain <laughs> way. And I'm like, what? Because, right. You know, he says R instead of aura. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Well, it is a, like a, it is a, it is a dialect here in Detroit. Like you can, like, if I go away and I come back, I can hear it mm -hmm. because a, a lot of people do come from the South, um, around here. So it's mixed with an urban Southern kind of thing. Yeah. And it's, it's so hilarious. You're, you're like, oh, okay. But since I've heard it all my life, you know, it's like, okay. 
But unfortunately, I had a, a, a PhD as a mother in education and a chemist as a father. Yeah. So we weren't even used, allowed to use the word ain't in our house. So yeah. it was like, but I've learned, and I think you, you can relate to this. When you go around certain people, you can talk a certain way. And when you yeah. go around other people, you talk a certain way. So it's like, okay. I don't have to be, you know, all the time this way, but I know how to talk to everybody. So yeah. it's just like, okay. Yeah. But I know my voice and I am going to let my voice shine. So yeah. whatever, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Because my sister and I grew up in the same house, very different accents, very different. Like mm-hmm. you talk to her, you know, straight New Orleans. She, <laughs> New Orleans. And right. my stepdad, straight New Orleans. but you know my mom's side of the family some of them have it some of them don't it depends on the conversation it depends on what's going on right you know because I have an uncle we're real you know close in age and he's a um, excuse me he's a PhD and he is like a chair at Xavier University oh cool so when he's you know working he speaks a certain way then when he's around us it's like boy stop (laughs) so you know I know that whole thing where you have to switch it off and on yeah but it's it's just funny to me that people just perceive because you look a certain way or you come from a certain place you should be a certain thing right and then it carries over into writing yeah what what you write and people just automatically think that okay it's this and even though the romance world, it's it's crazy because when I'm out and about, you know, that's what they expect. They expect to have like an urban kind of romance going mm-hmm. on or baby mama, baby daddy drama or, you know, things like that. And I'm like, well, no, I'm, I'm I have a DNA splicer trying to protect her, her research. And they're like, yeah. oh, really? Yeah really and I'm like yeah okay I, I know a little something something about yeah. science <laughs> yeah. I'm like that with history because um, I wrote a contemporary romance and one of the women were like these plays some woman who <laughs> I was like really lady she said we um these places can't possibly exist in the city and I'm like yeah they're real locations right and she's like well it can't be and i'm like it's a real location i've actually been in this building several (laughs) times and she's like well this place couldn't exist this other place and i'm like i drive past it on my way to work every single morning these places exist and they're historic so i know the history i know what i'm writing about and then and then it turned into the main character cannot possibly be a historian um why not (laughs) You know, it's, it's just, we aren't one thing. We don't write about one thing. Yeah. And, it, and it's fun though. It is fun because then you're able to pull from, especially with me being romance suspense, I can pull from so many, so many genres and, mm-hmm. and wrap it together in, in a beautiful happily ever after, of course. But yeah. I love that because it's like, hey, who are you going to be today? And where can you be? And of course, since I'm a woman and since I'm Black, I can be anything I want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's that's that stereotyping of what your experience is as a Black woman drives me insane. Ugh. It just makes me crazy. 
I do try to push that in my book. Like I do try. And then people will say, well, you know, she's this, or she doesn't just have this ordinary job, or she's not just working for the man. Sometimes she's an entrepreneur, but not just like, just not just like a business entrepreneur. I have one girl, she makes wigs for people. Like she's, you know, she's a wig maker and which is really popular in Detroit, even that, even hat making, you can make a good deal of money at hat making. Yeah in Detroit. I think one of the most famous hats, you know, the one Aretha Franklin wore at Obama's of course. <laughs> coronation. I mean, it was from Detroit. I mean, yeah. it was the, the song um, finery. It was like so cool. So I try to give my characters, especially like odd kind of jobs or odd kind of things to say, hey, we can be in any niche and you can make money at it and you can do well at it. Um, it doesn't matter. So I love finding great jobs for my characters. That's one of my things is that when yeah. I find the character, I'm like, Ooh, let's see what she can do. And then I go research and I'm like, Oh my God, you can do this. Yeah. So, yeah. Like I said, my, um, in my, I have a modern muses series. The, the main character Cleo is an archeologist and she cool. makes money from it. Like she's found some things that have been put in museums. And she makes money for it. And her sister is a writer, like a well-known writer. So it's like, yeah, we can do stuff. We we can do other things out of the norm. (laughs) And then be a secretary for a millionaire. Yeah. (laughs) It's like every time. And when I was growing up, I'd read these romances. And these women would always be like looking for a job and fall in love with the boss or being rescued. And I'm like, right. You don't have a life outside of this person? Right. And a lot, yeah, that's, I think, when I met my second husband, it was funny because he said what caught him the most uh, on our first conversation was that I said that my life did not start when I met, when I got into a relationship, when I meet people. And I don't want you to perceive that because our lives don't. You know, mm-hmm. and that's how I want my characters to be, that their lives are still going on. They're still having, you know, problems at home. They're still having problems at work. But, hey, they just happen to fall in love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just didn't manifest when this man came into your life. Right. All of a sudden, you're strong and yeah. smart and things like that. Like, yeah. Hey. And I had someone tell me, even my short stories, um, a friend of mine, she was like, you know, every time you write a female character, she's very unexpected. And I'm like, what do you mean? Because <laughs> she had I'd written a short story about a little girl being picked up from school to be taken home. And it the way it, it works out is she's actually a genius in robotics. Mm-hmm. And um, my friend was like, I wasn't expecting that. She was like, she's like 10. I was like, we have smart 10 year olds. <laughs> really smart ones (laughs) but you don't expect that you don't expect the little girl who seems to be getting kidnapped to be her own hero I said well sometimes they are their own heroes you know sometimes I've heard stories of little girls getting away from kidnappers real life so (laughs) you know it it happens and I like that I like that there's so many strong female characters coming out yeah and I hope they keep going. I hope they don't give up. And if they're listening, I hope that, you know, you may think that 
you know, even if it feels like nobody's reading it, it's going to, it's going to get read. It is yeah. going to get read because it's much needed. It is much needed in this world of telling little girls that you can do it. You can be it. So, yeah. And no offense against any other race, but I think little black girls need to hear it more. Yes. And it's yes. not just because <clears throat> it's just, there's so many things stacked against you as a black person in general, but to be a mm -hmm. black female, it's like they cut you down before they even know you. Right. So give, if you have that buildup and I try to instill this in my daughter, she's 16 now, but I try to tell her, do not let anybody devalue you mm -hmm. because of what they think. Mm -hmm. Their opinion shouldn't matter because you know who you are. She's mm -hmm. like, okay, but it's going to take a while. I know it takes a while for that to uh, sink in. To, to sink in and sometimes I just sit back and, and tell the Lord, could you just show her she's valuable because... Yeah. And a lot of times I, I would put, you know, my daughter in situations where she could see me showing, you know, how valuable I am or her people actually coming and seeing, you know, them seeing, you know, that I'm a valuable human being and I take that in stride and you are from me. So yeah. if whatever, you can't think bad things because you got everything that was good inside of me. You know, that's, that's how DNA works. It only pulls the good out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's why I don't have a flat tummy anymore or yeah. I have a dry skin because of you. Yeah. <laughs> you got it all. So yeah. it's I like, I, I love showing my kids like, Hey, you need it. You, you got it already. So just use it. And I've always like, even in my mother's speeches, when I go and talk all over, I'm often telling them like, you know, don't ever suppress your child's superpowers. And mm -mm. I say, you know, every child believes they can do anything and let them believe that. Don't, don't take that away. Don't ever say, no, you can't, or that's impossible or stop that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, let them believe like, Hey, if they want to be a fire truck, let them believe they can grow up and be a, be a fire, fire truck. truck. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> you never know. I wanted to be a cow and look at me. I'm a mom. <laughs> wow. <laughs> My mom didn't stop. And she said, go ahead, girl, be the best cow you want. And That's right. <laughs> I grew up and became a mom. So, yeah. Hey. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> why discard? And I, the thing with my daughter is I always tell her, like, she'll come up with some plan or something she wants to do. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. Like, right. I want to play the guitar. Bought her a guitar. It's like, okay, um, what are we doing with this? Yeah. You know, are, are we going to practice or are we, it's just in her room right now. So <laughs> I know I got a violin and a flute. <laughs> Yeah, she has like in a, a corner. She has a microscope. She has somebody bought her a pottery wheel. She has art supplies. She has a guitar. She has a skateboard. I mean, anything she's like, I want to do it. Okay. She said, Right. At one point, I want to do makeup. My sister has a really good friend who works at Mac. They cleaned up for her. Oh my God. And it just awesome. sits there. And it's like, what do you want to do? It just tell me what is it you want to do and we'll make it happen. So And my know. daughter did compliment me on that. She said that was she said that was the best thing is that, you know, as she got out in the world and met other young women her age and they would always ask, Well, Maggie, everything you, you, you say you wanna do, you 
you jump into it and do it. And she says, well, I do have to thank my mom because that's how we were. You know, she said, whenever my mom, I went to my mom and said, Hey, can you know anything about this? Cause I'm thinking about it. She said, you'd go all out. We'd go get books. Mm-hmm. We'd look at videos together, you know, we'd figure something out, you know, Hey, I didn't have the budget, but we was going to figure something out. Yeah. like okay let's go stop here and we can get this at the retail store and you can do this and so it was yeah we we would go figure it out or be away or something and because it's like hey this is a dream I want to make sure that at no point do you feel suppressed by the world because like you said it's so many roadblocks so many hurdles and hoops and loops that they put in front of you I don't ever want my children to feel like you can't overcome them because you can. It's it's just one little obstacle, step over it and keep it going. Yeah, that's And the greatest compliment I have ever gotten is from my mom who tells, she tells me and my sister all the time, you and your sister do so much for your kids. They are such good kids. They are so great. She's like, they're awesome. The biggest complaint I have about my daughter is she is messy. That is my biggest complaint. She's messy. Yeah, I do have that with. Yeah, but I'm like, keep it in your room. I'm fine with it. But that's my biggest complaint. And my mom's like, you do an awesome job. You make sure she never wants for anything, you know, and it's great. And my thing is I like to teach by example. Uh So if I say, like I told her, I'm going to write a book. And my daughter looked at me. And then I said, okay, the book is done. And she was like, wait, (laughs) you really did it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Anything. If I put my mind to it and say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Just like if she wants to do something, okay, let's do it. Let's go for it. And I I think that that's a big lesson, especially, and they used to say this a lot when we were young, you know, practice what you preach, Mm -hmm. but then they, they forgot to also put in, but also what you teach. So you have to practice what you preach, but also what you teach. So if you want them to go in that direction, you have to be a part of that direction. You have to show them, this is how you do it. This is what you have to do. So you can't just sit up here and say, hey, read a book, and then they never see you pick up a book. Or, yeah. you know, they say, hey, go out there and follow your dreams, but they never see you following your own dreams. Children yeah. watch and learn by example. So we as parents, we as even just people, adults and societies, we need to be out there living the message that we are giving out yeah. at all times because it's not just our children that, that need it. But every child, especially like you said, every little black girl needs to see that it is somebody somewhere out there that is just like them, that is doing what their dream could possibly be. So yeah, yeah we, are, we are a testament to help our, 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 our future generation succeed. So we have to succeed. So. Yeah, yeah. And I tell my daughter all the time, it's not a problem when you don't get something right the first time. It's not an issue if you fail at something, if, as long as you keep trying. Right. You have oh. to keep trying. Yeah. We, I, girl, trust me. My, I tell my kids all the time, I have no idea what I'm doing. I <laughs> never raised a, a, 20, a 14-year-old, a 16-year-old. I don't know how to do this. 
and I mean, in our, our whole journey as a family, they've seen me fail. Like we've lost our house in a fire in eight mm -hmm. minutes. So we, we literally lost everything we owned in literally eight minutes <laughs> with 63 cents in my bank account, which they were aware of at the time. Yeah. I was laid off, not getting any money coming in. And, you know, they turned to me after the fire, like, okay, what do we do that? <laughs> yeah, I get it. I mean, and so they, they have seen me fail. Yeah. That, so, and I think it's good to see that. I see, yeah. It's good to see that. And it's good to see how you react to it. Yeah. And see me own it. I, you know, and that was my son said, he said the other day, it was like, you own stuff. When you make a mistake, you own it. When you, when you accomplish something, you own it. He said, but that, he said, that really shows a, a different perspective to, Hey, I'm human. And you know, you, you can sit up here and put me on a pedestal because I am a parent. I don't mind. I don't mind being the queen, but there, I'm not going to say I know everything. I'm still learning. I'm still a work in progress. God is still pushing me in a direction that I need to be going, but you know, I'm going to fall, but you're going to see me get up every time I'm going to get up. Exactly. And my daughter has had to see like the struggle when when she was born we lived with my parents mm -hmm. my mom and my stepdad and then when she was two <clears throat> well right before she turned two um it was in a three-bedroom house with one bathroom my mom my stepdad me and my daughter oh. my sister and her two kids wow all of us and then when my sister moved out like a few months later katrina hit and it was like oh, oh. are you kidding me <laughs> <laughs> and then you know so she's seen us come back from losing all this stuff and then we still lived with my mom for a while and then I moved into this two bedroom basically a shed there were no hallways it was just four rooms <laughs> we moved into that and then by the grace of God I was able to buy a house Mm -hmm. so for as long as she can really remember since she was in third grade she's lived in the same house in the same mm -hmm. neighborhood and with the same friends and it is yeah. and that was my goal for her to grow up with the kids she went to school with you know yeah, through yeah. her whole life and it has been a struggle and she knows it's been a struggle but I'm also when mommy says we're going to Disney World we are going to Disney oh. World <laughs> so we've done that but I like her to see my smaller, what I consider the smaller accomplishments. Right. But they I, should. They, yeah. they should know where they, they should know where they came from and they should know how, how you got to this situation. I think especially in this generation, it's a, it's an unappreciation factor of, you know, how we got to this point, how we got to this nice house, or how do we got to this nice neighborhood? How did we even get those shoes on your feet? You know, mm -hmm. everything. And it's not saying, you know, hey, worship me, because I did this. It's saying be grateful and appreciative. Because at any moment, we could be back where we we were. Yeah, you know, and a, a lot of people and a lot of people come and tell me well Sylvia you know all my kids want is this and they want this and they want this and I was like well you're gonna have to make them realize what they really need <laughs> <laughs> and you take away all those wants 
uh, yeah, they kind of say, hey, that light bulb in my room is really important. I'm yeah. going to turn that light switch yeah. off because mama going to come in here and take my light bulb. I don't care how you get your homework done. Yeah. You left your light on all day. I had to pay that money and I want my money back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have no idea how often I'm yelling at my daughter. Why are you leaving the kitchen light on? You are not in there. Oh, I've, I've been, I've gone to the point and people say I'm petty, but they, my kids learn like real fast. Every, every piece of food that you throw away, every time I had to go and talk to your teacher, you took time away from things I could have been doing for the household or for, for other people or earning, earning money. So I make sure I come back and be petty enough to say, (laughs) oh, I guess since I had to go talk to your teacher for two hours, that's two hours of electricity that I could not funnel into this house. So uh, let's turn off everything in your room, including your (laughs) phone, (laughs) and see how you deal with these two hours that I got to make up for, you know? And then they'd be like, but mom, electricity don't have nothing to do with talking to my teacher. I said, yes, it does. Cause it took away time. I could have been making money for the electricity bill. So yes, that's how petty I will be. (laughs) We will be petty. (laughs) Like I said, my daughter, she's messy, but, and forgetful. So like, 12 o'clock in the afternoon I'm looking I'm like why are all the lights on in the kitchen there are three lights in the kitchen why are all of them on when the sun is blazing outside you don't need these lights so she's gotten in the habit of turning it off now because I'm good (laughs) for going behind her go turn it off but what I do like and what I think shows that she respects what I do is Mm -hmm. Um, my day job, if I have to work late, she'll make dinner. Uh, if I don't feel good, she'll make me dinner. Yeah. It, like even in the morning, she'll make me a cup of coffee. And when my stomach's upset, my daughter makes the best. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the pound <laughs> of butter. But even my mom, who's diabetic, she's like, when, when I'm sick, Cam makes me the best toast. And I'm like, yeah, it's like <laughs> two pounds of butter on a piece of bread. <laughs> so whatever that does it just makes you feel better right and when i tell her i'm writing she'll leave me alone right and that's the best thing is that when they come back and respect what you you are doing yeah that that is that you know you've actually done something as a parent to make them appreciate like hey mom needs to do this to make the money you know and the kid like mine what you know because since we we had they were five years, the two older ones was five years older than the youngest one. So a lot of times, you know, in the morning, if they know I had worked a 16 hour shift, they would get the baby ready in the morning, you know, make sure she had all her stuff, got breakfast for her, you know, in the afternoon, you know, knowing I didn't have a car to go pick them up. They were responsible for making sure the baby got picked up from daycare, bring her home, get her snack together situate her with her homework so it was like you know they they helped me you know get the house together they they did their chores without even asking because it was like I'm I'm not a recorder I don't keep pressing rewind so you know when you come home take your uniform off put your shoes by the door get your homework together you know this is the same story every day I'm not gonna repeat it every year (laughs) 
until you 18 years old so when they respect those little things but then go the extra mile you know when they wash your clothes come get my clothes and wash them too knowing that you know I'm working all these hours to bring more money in the house that's kind of nice when you come home and then see your clothes neatly and you know at least they separate them in underwear pajama and clothing (laughs) I I draw the line at my daughter doing my laundry I'm like (laughs) you can do your own I'll do my laundry you do your laundry because well they were really good about it my kids were they knew like I worked a lot of hours and it was with multiple kids you're kind of like okay I'm Mm -hmm. barely keeping the house together so these little things kind of helped me with my day. So they were really good. All of them, even my son, because a lot of people would say, oh, even your son did your clothes. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I washed his clothes. He can wash mine, but it was no problem across the board. He would take my clothes, the baby clothes, his sister clothes, and, you know, go down there and do them all, you know, because yeah. they understood, hey, this is, if you throw in a t-shirt and some underwear in a washer for a full load, oh, oh I'm going to find out. <laughs> that drives me so crazy. My daughter does that. And it, it, I'm like, and, and what drives me even more crazy, we have the hamper that's separated uh-huh. into whites light colors dark colors and right go and wash one thing and i'm like this hamper is overflowing <laughs> just not even touching and you just, just didn't even bother to throw some more stuff in the washing machine all right you could wash this one shirt you want to wear on friday <laughs> i think the best thing I, I i instituted in the house were things we called it the community area or a community object um, so if the, it was a community area, say like the living room or the kitchen, then everybody was in charge of making sure it stayed clean. A community object would be the scissors. You know how you never can find the scissors. Yeah. In the house. yeah. So uh, the scissors and the can opener, that was my pet peeve. If, if I'm looking for them, they should be in the exact same spot every time when they're not yeah. being used. And so like we had community objects and like washing, like, you know, the, all the, the towels, the sheets and everything that was the community laundry basket. So everybody knew, Hey, these things need to get done on a daily basis. Me as yeah. a busy parent, me trying to get out and I did speaking events. I would hold seminars. I would do conferences. And sometimes the kids, if I had two days off and I would play in my conference in those two days, Oh, they knew, yeah, the house was packed with food. You stay in there and you make sure the house, nothing happens to the house while I'm gone, you know, yeah. because I'm going to be doing this, but they took care of it because when I come back home and people be like, I know you're coming home to a big old mess. <laughs> no, I'm not because I didn't make a mess. I didn't throw them clothes in the, in the, in, you know, those toys on the floor or anything like that. That is not my job. I'm your mama, not your maid. Exactly. <laughs> So if I come home, I shouldn't be smelling feet and butt in my house. This is the only place I can go. This is my sanctuary. You can go to your granddaddies. You can go to your friends. You can go to your aunts and everything. That can be your sanctuary. But this is the only place I can go. And if I'm going to spend $1,500 a month on taking care of this, I want to, I want to come in and I want to smell my Glade plug-in, not your shoes. (laughs) 
I get it. I get it. Because like I said, my sister has four sons and a husband who works construction. Oh my God. And she's like, I feel like I'm always doing laundry. And I'm like, well, and the boys play sports. So there's always oh. equipment all over the place. And, I, oh. and she's like, if they don't pick it up, I'm not doing it. I'm not. I'm not. There are two rooms in her house that they, she completely closes off to the kids. Her bedroom, even though they ease in there. <laughs> she's a real estate agent she has an office they can't come and just be in her office right she's like there's a game room there's an entire game room get away so i i hats off to her because i would be losing my mind half the time I, oh good lord no I, I, I realized when my son became a teenager when i walked in the door and girl i thought i walked into a boy's locker room because it smelled. I was like, what is this smell? Why is, girl, I was cleaning up, wiping down. I couldn't get the smell out the front room. And I realized it was his football equipment in the closet. The closet was closed. It was permeating the entire front of the house. Yeah. I, I, oh, no. Yeah. I just, I just, One of my like, nephews is like not allowed to take his shoes off. And my sister's like, I don't know what's wrong with him. I don't know. <laughs> Girl, I started throwing uh, satchels of potpourri and spraying peppermint. Girl, I threw a whole thing of tea bags in the closet to soak it up. Girl, opened up an entire thing, a huge Sam's Club bag of uh, baking powder, baking soda. Because I was like, ooh, we got to soak this up because Jesus needs to come in here and pray. I'm about to call the exorcist priest because that's that's an entity yeah that's boys. Your clothes. Teenage boys sometimes they get to you you're like oh what what is that oh my god and the thing mm-hmm. that gets me is they don't smell it right that fresh testosterone ain't no joke like it's oh jesus <laughs> you don't smell that I, I shouldn't smell you before you come into the room. Yeah. Should... <laughs> be around well, the corner and be like, how you know I'm here? I can smell you. Coming. <laughs> but the good that's a good thing about my daughter. She is very clean, but like I said, stuff everywhere. Mess. Mess. Well, you know what? My daughter did grow up. The oldest one did. Mm. And and um, I'm not saying as a writer, you know, I'm going to say I am no Carol Brady mm-hmm. when it comes to housework. I know how to keep, I know how to maintain cleanliness, yeah. but I am not like, oh, I'm doing on the baseboards every weekend or vacuuming every day or something like that. But my oldest one, I mean, I swear you couldn't even walk through the, her room. She kept it, like you said, she keeps it in her room. Yeah. You know, every once in a while, there'll be like something sticking out from under the door. <laughs> but like she did grow out of it once she got her own apartment and she realized she couldn't walk through her own she had a little uh efficiency apartment oh yeah so it's kind of little a closet where she could just put a twin bed she had a little sink like it was it was a kitchenette (laughs) and a little love seat on the side and that was her her efficiency but and she realized like she got tired of coming home and just junk being everywhere and I came one day and it was all clean and 
she was like, yeah, I got tired of just stepping on things. I was like, oh my goodness. It's, it's, I, know, I know she's going <laughs> to grow out of it. I'm thinking she's going to grow out of it when she has to share a dorm room. Oh yeah. I'm thinking that's going to be the change, but yeah, she like, I'll, I don't even go into her bathroom or her bedroom. Ugh. And every time my mom comes over, she, she goes into a bathroom, but before she does, she puts her hand on the knob and she's like, please don't let me start yelling. <laughs> no, you got to pray every time you walk in. Yeah, she start, and I don't even go into my daughter's bedroom because every time I do, I just get so mad. And I'm like, right. I'm not coming in here. I just can't. I can't I do it. So I, she'll grow I out just, of it. Yeah, she will. She She'll see. If not, you can say, I did say something. This is not me. This is you. <laughs> but I will give her this. When I, um, I had to go through, when she turned 13, mm-hmm. I, right when she started high school, no, when she was in ninth grade, uh, eighth grade, I was diagnosed with cancer. So oh. I went through chemo and radiation and like six or seven surgeries Mm -hmm. at the same time I was writing a book and graduating college wow I didn't have to worry about anything in the house I didn't have to worry about anything with her schoolwork I didn't have to worry about anything and that shows a good mommy that shows that you yeah that was a good mommy pouring into her from earlier And a lot of people don't realize that doesn't just come naturally or easily. You have to be pouring into that child, like, you know, from the time they start, they come out of you. Like every day is a learning moment. Every day is a teaching moment. Every day is a a correction moment of saying, hey, you know, this this behavior is cute now, but it's not cute when it's 12 or 14. You know, you always have to be thinking that, oh, this behavior is not is not going to be cute you know they they cuss at you when they too you know hey it's cute everybody laugh but when they cuss at you at 13 and you wonder why like oh why are you gonna talk to me like that it's not cute and (laughs) i'm not trying to go to jail for you i will hide your body and put a missing report out over you because it's not cute after they turn 10 once they feet stop stinking I start stinking that's when it's not cute anymore when you don't want to smell their feet anymore that's when you know (laughs) they grow up yeah when you're looking at them like (laughs) when they breath starts stinking when they start you're like okay I know this person is going to grow up and I need to start instilling things in them that not only even not for respect for you but just making sure that they stay alive because you would rather be the one that correct your child, not the penitentiary sentry. Yeah, penitentiary yeah. Sentry. You don't want the world to correct your child. Cor- mm-hmm. You correct your child. And that's what I found like it has been a joy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, you know, it, when you're going through it, you like, Jesus, this boy is joining you soon because <laughs> <laughs> he is not going to make it to his next birthday. But then, you know, 10 years later, you, both can sit back and say that yeah we did go through that I'm glad you know I didn't kill you because you yeah. turned out to be a really great person yeah but I'm gonna yeah. tell people yeah it 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 is a challenge every day is a challenge but but rise up to that challenge yeah we went through it it. Yeah, it pays off it does pay off and I mean I I do have to 
thank my own sanity and a lot of prayer <laughs> that uh yeah i always say i play crazy to win yeah. so you want to you want to put the game out of crazy oh you just you just uh got got my uh goat like yeah, yeah i can i can sit here all day <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm lucky that I, like, I was a single parent. My daughter's father died before she was even born. So I have always been mommy, <laughs> just right. been mommy. But my sister and my brother-in-law, you know, family will come in when I'm like, I can't, I'm a killer. They'll come in. But every year on my daughter's birthday, she was a handful. I'm first uh, pre-K through second grade. She was like awful like we would get calls from the school daily because she did said something that was awful right. and every year on her birthday since she's turned like 12 my sister will be like I'm so proud of her and she's really changed you remember when she told her Miss Caroline's tree off the wall and I'm like don't tell that story ever again oh god don't she, remind me yeah but I, I think it's funny my daughter is like why does she keep bringing it up it's like because it's a testament of how far you've come right you and were. you want to remember that yeah because you, you don't want to go back to it i got that call and my sister was laughing at the time she's like i took care of it but she's like she tore down a woman's tree i'm like what you know because in pre-k they have the like behavior stuff yeah and her teachers was an apple tree and whenever you behaved you had to pull your, your apple from the top of the tree and drop it down mm. and the worse you got if it was on the ground that means you were horrible for that day and her teacher said cameron drop your apple and she tore down the whole tree it's like <laughs> no if i'm going down i'm taking everybody <laughs> with me. everybody with <laughs> So my sister brings that up all the time. She's like, she was so bad. She was oh my gosh. Yeah. But yeah. you know, she 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 has her moments. She's 16. You know, they're dramatic. It's gonna get better. It is. It's getting better already. But <laughs> that's good. But I do I do appreciate the fact that she respects everything I do and try to do. Mm-hmm. So that's like important. she tells her teachers, my mom's a writer. She's so proud. my mom's a writer you should read her books my mom's a writer you should read her books to everybody so but she hasn't read them thank god i don't I don't think <laughs> i could take it if she read my books uh, i don't think yeah i don't think my kids ever my daughter my oldest one she read a couple of them when she got you know she, i think she's like 17 18 mm -hmm. she had read a couple of them um and then that was it. Does she knew what I wrote? But they were always there. Like I, since, of course, I didn't have anybody to babysit. I would take mm -hmm. them with me to book signings and stuff like that. So they have always been around. Like, you know, the kind of books I wrote. But they've never really like, hey, let me, why do you write this or anything like that? Mm -hmm. It it has been books where you know where I do we'll talk of like I do talk it out in or I'll sit with them they a lot of times once they got older I would ask them about okay if you had this situation how would you react to it you know just to see what their thoughts were about yeah. it and everything or like if I had kids in the story and I'd be like well your mom is dating this guy and he has this certain situation is happening how do you feel about it 
to kind of get a real take on, okay, how would the kids react in the story? Because a lot of people don't do that. Mm -hmm. I realize, you know, they'll put kids in the story just as an emotional factor, but they never really have the the kids take on the situation the the female protagonist is in. So I would often ask them that. But but uh, it was one story that I knew that I was publishing um, that was going to like people once I started doing interviews and a lot of times my kids are present when, when I'm doing interviews when they were little they would be present and they would listen to me you know mm-hmm. listen to how I came up with the story and things like that so it was one story I did write and it was about uh, a man uh, he was going through the fact that his father just hated him hated the fact that he was born um, the fact that, you know, this, this child was in my life and no matter what he did, he could never please his father. And I, I kind of addressed the fact of how a lot of single moms, you know, we raise these children, but we're still angry at the father. Yeah. We're still angry and we take it out on the children. And that's what he was. The father was literally angry at the son because of the mother, because mm-hmm. he felt deceived. He felt this woman betrayed him, blah, blah, blah. And so everything just funneled down to the sun. And it w- it took a little bit of myself as well. I had to come to a, a, a realization of, of something I had went through when I was having my son. Yeah. And literally, I hated him when I got pregnant with him. I hated the fact that he was a boy. I hated the fact that I'd have to love a man and give myself to an, another man to use me again, to not appreciate me again. And, you know, I did, I told this story. Um, and I, I, before I, I told him we were going on an interview together, I sat down with him and I told him that story. I told him, yeah. I said, when I found out I was pregnant with you and you were a boy, I pray every day to good Lord would just come and take you away, just take you away. And every day, I, I felt that I could not be a mommy to you. I did not want to be a mommy to you. Yeah. And he sat there and he listened to me. And I said, uh, I was six months pregnant. I had not gained any weight. And they were worried. They did. They ran all these tests. They they punctured the embryo to, to see if it was viable anymore because you hadn't even moved. You haven't grown or anything and they the doctor determined that you know you you wouldn't probably make it through the whole pregnancy and they would just do a, an extraction to for my health because my health had started to deteriorate mm-hmm. and um I was so happy because I felt the Lord was giving me what I asked for and he's just his face was so solid as I'm telling him this entire story and I knew that I had the this was a point going to be a point in our relationship that was either he was going to either hate me for it Mm -hmm. or love me more because it was what this is what happened and he had to know the whole story yeah because I was going to tell people and um I said the doctor saw that I was so happy. He, he was about to schedule it right then, like take me right into the OR because my blood work came back really funny and he didn't trust it for me to, you know, go another day. And he said, I look so happy that he said, well, maybe you should go home and think about it. Yeah. And I said, for the first time in six months, I smiled. I felt light as air. I was so happy because I knew tomorrow 
would be a new day and I didn't have to have a boy in my life. I did not want a son. And I went to sleep that night. I was thanking God, girl. I said my prayers extra hard, <laughs> you know, and then I had a dream. I said, I'm sitting there in my dream and we were all dressed in black. And my oldest daughter, she was only about almost one at that time, sitting next to me. And she pointed up to the casket. And it was the tiniest casket in the world. And I got up in the dream and I walked up to the open casket. And I saw the biggest brown eyes and the biggest, thickest, furriest eyebrows. <laughs> and I said, it was your face looking at me. And I realized at that point, you were doing the, the best love of all, and you were dying for me. Mm -hmm. And I said, I knew that as I looked down at your face, that you were making that sacrifice because that is how much you loved me. You loved me before you were even born. And then God showed me that. And I said, I woke up. I threw up all over the place and I just pray for God. If I could just see, if I could just hold you and tell you how sorry that my hate killed you, I would be, I would, I would just thank him for that. Just that moment, just to see you take one breath of air and be able to hear, I'm sorry. And I didn't go to the operation. They called, they tried to get me in. They even called my dad. They were like, she's got to come. I wouldn't come. Yeah. I told my dad, I don't care if I die. Then I just die because I deserve what I get for what I did to him. And um, I just was so scared. But the, at the seventh month, and I weighed myself because I was so scared. I had gained over 30 pounds Ooh. in a whole month. Yes. <laughs> And then the next month, like the next three weeks, I had gained like 20 more pounds and everything. I just kept gaining weight all the yeah. time, but he still wasn't moving. Nothing was moving. And I finally went to the doctor because I was so scared. I would like hit my belly like to see, okay, is he going to move? Yeah. He would not move. And I was so scared. And they said they could feel a faint heartbeat. And he was like, are you sure you want to go through with this? Are you sure? And I was like, I'm, I'm going to go all the way to the end. Because they was like, we can get him out now and see his vitals and everything. I was like, no, I'm going all the way. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to come out when he's ready to come out. And um, when it happened and it, it was so fast, like the first contraction shot him halfway out my body. Oh, wow. The nurse wasn't in the room at the time. Nobody except was my sister and my father was in the room. It was like a, it was like a TV series because my sister raised my leg at the same time a contraction hit and it, he shot out. <laughs> my father had never been, he had had six daughters. He had never been in a room with someone having a baby before. Yeah. So, and of course being a scientist, he just, he thwarted to the science mode and started he's taking pictures <laughs> of my cooch cooch. So he's all up in there with a camera <laughs> shooting, shooting pictures. My sister's screaming because the baby's halfway off the bed. Oh Lord. <laughs> so I, I reached down. All I could think about was his eyes. I was like, I just got to see his eyes. I just got to see his eyes. And he had the biggest brown eyes. <laughs> 
and nefarious eyebrows and he was looking at me. He wasn't crying. He was just looking. And all I kept saying was how sorry I was. Oh. <laughs> and he, I thought for sure like he was about to die. They would, he wouldn't even cry when they hit him. Like they took him away for a second. Wouldn't cry and they were like, well, I guess he's good. <laughs> <laughs> He just kept looking. He did not stop looking at me that whole day. I held him. They couldn't even clean him all the way off because I wouldn't stop holding him. Yeah. And today he's a 22-year-old healthy little boy. Well, he's not little anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. But I told him that story and I said, I I said, no matter what, I was going to be the best mommy for you ever had. Like any mommy out there would never compete like you would go find other mommies other sons and you always come back and say you were the best mom and as and it was so funny because on his uh, last birthday he sent me a card and it said you are the best mom oh so that was kind of really happy for me so yeah that's my <laughs> That's my, I had to put it, but I had to write a story and I had to show him. And I said, I have to tell people because hate, hate is a weapon. Hate yeah. can, you know, you are drinking poison that you, you made for your enemies and it consumes you. Yeah. And that's what it did for me. And I said, I, I called him my seraphim. I said, because you are an angel. You are, <laughs> you are my right hand angel. You led me back to where I needed to be with yeah. love. Yeah. So, yeah. And that, wow. that's what he's always been is my, he's a. That is amazing. amazing. Yeah. And it's like, I, I realized that we do have to, like I say, own what we do, own what we say, because it gives us so much strength. And then the people around us, they see that we're a powerful being because I did that, whether it was bad or good, we made a choice. And I don't think in any, any instance in our lives, we make mistakes. We do not make mistakes. We make choices. We made a choice and we have to own it. Yes. It was a bad choice. Sometimes them choices be like, Ooh, girl, I don't even know what I did last (laughs) night, but (laughs) I did it, you know, but you own it. And once you own it, you're not, you're not 10 years later feeling bad about oh I this happened to me and and oh my god we were in this bad situation because I didn't make up financial choices I didn't because you didn't know what you were doing back then but now you do you learned you got up you picked yourself up you did it and then you made better choices and that that every day we just got to do better we just make better choices the sun rises again because it gives us another opportunity to start back over. <laughs> yeah, and that's funny because every morning um, I drop my daughter off at school. Well, when she wasn't going to school, I drop her off at school, and as she gets out of the car, um, she always says, "I love you," always, unless she's really mad. And a couple of times she's come back and opened the car door and go, "I love you," and leaves. <laughs> but I always yell at her, "Make good choices." Right. And she roll her eyes at me. <laughs> but it's, but it's true. Make good choices. Mm-hmm. You it's know? true. You have the opportunities and 
and I, and it was funny because like I did have to tell that story because some somebody heard me on the radio talking about this story and they were like oh you must come to the storyteller event and I'm thinking it's going to be like a small personable you know kind of 20 people just sitting around and I'll tell the story and it turned out to be like over 300 people <laughs> in the audience yeah. and my son came with me and everything it was so crazy because like he's sitting there and everybody it was men women they were and even the men they were crying about it they were just they were and gone, I know they man. kept looking like for <laughs> like but they didn't even know he was in the audience until at the end like they, at the end you know I said yeah. and today he is and I pointed in the audience and the the light of course immediately went to him <laughs> he said people was hugging him and people who had heard the story like years later because yeah. they filmed it and then they would show it on you know, their anniversary or something like that. He said he would be somewhere and they'd be like, are you Sylvia's son? And they would just hug him. Yeah. And he was, you know, he had to get used to that because he was, <laughs> he, was, he, was he was like, my, I met one of your fans today. Yeah. He's like, she kept hugging me. She gave me money. I like that, but <laughs> like she, she kept hugging me like, oh, you are a testament. You are so beautiful. Oh, I can't believe you're so healthy. It, it was just like, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it's a testament to show that, you know, I made mistakes and I own that hate, but because of that, hey, I learned from it. I got up and said, you know what? It doesn't have to consume me. What people did to me in the past cannot affect the relationship I have with this child because it was not his fault. Yeah. And it, it was my fault for allowing people to treat me like that. And you know what? I'm going to just say, hey, I allowed that but I'm not going to allow that anymore. Yeah. I think every opportunity, especially when it hurts us or it presents us with a badness in our lives, it's an opportunity to learn Yeah, and say, okay, I learned from that and I'm going to do better. And that's all we can do. Like you say, make good choices. We yeah. can just get up and make a better choice. And even if that choice fails, let's just make a better choice. There's always a plan A through Z, but there's also one through a Google. <laughs> and there's also one A, D, yeah. one B, one C. You know, you can keep going. There's always other plans to make or other decisions to make in order to make our lives better. We just got to say, don't give up. Yeah. You know, the main and then, thing. Yeah, that's the very main thing. And I think once we all learn, and not even just learn from our choices, I found that, you know, even when we get those pop quizzes in life, that it's the do or die situation, that we have already been given the tools and the knowledge to go through that. Because we know God never gives us anything we can't handle. Yeah. I don't care if we've never faced this before. We've had an opportunity in life, in our past life, to learn how to do or go through this storm mm -hmm. and I think that not only just going from what mistakes we make or things that we learn but also going out and helping others and learning from their mistakes 
also helps us with those pop quizzes that come up in life. Because if you see somebody in a bad situation and you have an opportunity to help them or do something for them, then do it because then you can learn to say, hey, okay, I'm not going to make that choice because yeah, she, she really effed up her life. (laughs) I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to help her as much as I can. But if that ever choice ever comes up and presents itself to me, I can be like, you know what? Not today, Satan, (laughs) because I know how this is going to go. (laughs) And you learn from that. So it's not just the choices you make and learn from it, but it's also when you help out others, you are learning from what they did or did not do. And that's, that's part of being human. It's not just about you. It's about what everybody else around you does. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a major point. And I try to teach that to my daughter. Watch who you surround yourself with. Right. Watch the people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's a, she's 16. <laughs> I, I love how you say that. <laughs> and, but I've always told my kids, I said, if you find yourself, and I got that from Steve Harvey, if you find yourself the smartest, the smartest person in the bunch, that means you need, you need smarter friends. Yeah. You need, you I said, you should always be challenged by the people around you, not to envy them, but to, to learn from them and become a better you. Yeah. But if you find yourself like, if you wake up one day, are you just standing around talking to them? I said, if the word knucklehead comes to your vocabulary when you want to address them I said you need to get rid of that person because you don't they will pull you down to their level and beat you with experience yeah yeah (laughs) I I find myself and I'll tell like I'm I'm such an introvert but I'll go and hang out with people to see you know I'm trying to be social I'm trying to do this I'm trying to do that and I've come back several times and other people will say well how was it and I'm like I think I got dumber hanging with these people. <laughs> right. I, I it's like this. a sickness. Like, yeah, you're like, oh, like, how have you functioned yeah. so far in life as <laughs> functioning illiterate? That's <laughs> my thing is, how do you, how are you in the world? How? Right. How, how do you exist in right. the world? I just, <laughs> so, like, I can't. right yeah I just I realized that about myself too like you can I can only take because I unfortunately as a fiction author and I I I deal so much in fiction you know in my head Mm -hmm. in my real life I have to be honest yeah you know I, I, I cannot put on a facade I can't I can't pretend you know I like you in any I will be respectful Yes. I will be respectful, but I can't sit up here and say, oh, yeah, girl, your hair look good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, I get told at work all the time, every job I've ever had, whenever we have a meeting, I had a coworker. He said he would sit across from me just to watch my face. <laughs> right. Because you said, can't hide it. Yeah, like, he's <laughs> like, you're not saying anything, but your face is talking a whole lot. And because <laughs> yeah. right. you can't like you like, I can't believe that rolled out of your mouth. Yes. Yeah, like, like, no, no, you don't say. That. <laughs> no, no. But he, he said I would he said I would always pick the chair directly across from you. Oh because God. even with your head down, I could see your expression. 
Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's it. That, that's how I've been. And it's like, I, I tell people, you know, I, I stop lying to, you know, I, I can't lie, which is probably why I don't have a lot of close friends. Because if I, I'm going to tell you, if you come and ask me my opinion, I'm not trying to say, I'm, I'm talking to you as a friend. I'm not talking to you as somebody who want to be on your good side. I'm yeah. telling you what I feel you asked me for. I'm going to tell you exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly how I feel or exactly what you need to know about the situation you have gotten yourself in. And mm-hmm. at that point, don't come to me no more if you didn't take my advice because I don't want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have no to deal with that. I deal with that all the time and I'll tell people cuz I'm very I don't know, I see both sides of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So if someone's coming to me complaining and I'm like, but you know, they don't owe you anything honestly. Right. Well, you know, it's supposed to be my friend. Well, apparently they're not. They don't owe you right. anything. Nobody owes you what you think they owe you. You know, it, you, just because you feel you deserve something doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get it. Right. Hell, I, I think the, the, the wonderful thing about not received one dime of that. <laughs> There's so many things I feel I deserve. I feel I deserve Idris Elba. So, yes. Feel, <laughs> we can share. We can so share. I'll share. But I feel I deserve a little piece of that. I feel I deserve <laughs> some money. You know, there are lots of things I feel I deserve. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm gonna get it and I'm not happy about it. But right. I think the wonderful thing about being a writer is that we uh we can see both sides of the spectrum. We can see the protagonist and the antagonist. We can see the the good and bad choices, the, and we can we can see the probabilities of a storyline actually working and not working. We've already figured out, like, okay, yeah, you're gonna end up here, or you're gonna end up here. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the it's a it's a blessing and a curse because when your friends come to you for advice, like while they're telling you this, you've already started like going to the end of the book. Yeah, you know, okay. So you're, every possible scenario. Yeah, you're like, and it's like that Doctor Strange moment in Infinity Wars. You're yes. you're, <laughs> you're looking like eleven thousand different ways. Like, uh, yep, girl. Uh, uh it's only one possibility. Yep. Drop them. Drop them now, like a bad habit. Let's you can work this out as many ways as you want. The end is still going to be the end. Right. And that's the fun thing. Uh, that's a fun thing about being a writer, but then it's a bad thing because then when you turn it on yourself and you meet this awesome guy, and he's like, oh, this and this and this. And then it triggers something. Yeah. You're like, oh, that 11,000 possibilities only lead to one solution. I can't be with you. <laughs> Ooh, I cannot. You would get me in so much trouble everywhere it counts. <laughs> yeah. And I think so it, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. Like it's a good thing, like um, I can have conversation with conversations with certain family members and they're trying to work out, well, how did this happen? And what happened here? And it, and I'm sitting like, I could tell you what happened. Mm-hmm. I can tell you what whoever so and so thought was gonna happen, and when mm-hmm. it didn't happen, this is the reaction. So <laughs> You know, I can work that out for you. You know, we I already got the tea. We already, yeah. <laughs> we already, 
we already sipping from the cup like mm-hmm, that was good because <laughs> i was honey on I, that <laughs> saying okay so this is what happened she thought this was going to happen here that's mm-hmm. why there was this huge to do and then it didn't so then she thought it was going to happen here and it didn't and now everybody's upset so right yeah that's usually the case yeah i'm yeah, usually yeah. sitting back in the cut like mm-hmm so yeah that's a that's the fun part the fun and the miserable part about being an author is like when you apply it to your real life it's just kind of like okay let's let's try again (laughs) and i even go so far as to if somebody's flirting with me i'm sitting looking at them like no (laughs) right right you already worked out the possibilities like it would be good for about 30 seconds and then after that (laughs) and usually what triggers me is uh a couple of questions like if somebody will ask me what do you do and i tell them and i'll ask what do you do for fun and they start telling me stuff they have and i'm like no but what do you do for fun you didn't listen to the question yeah Yeah. well i have this and i have that well is that fun for you to have that or do you actually (laughs) do something for fun for fun do you have a hobby do you have outside interests what is it that you do well i work as a fine i don't care about that right oh yeah and that that's like my mm -mm, no (laughs) next (laughs) next just be like wasting my time let me order a a a surf and turf and get out of here (laughs) i'm gonna call you later right (laughs) i got a lobotomy to go to yeah i am very good at ghosting people i am so good at it i have my kids ghost people they would i would be like call me 45 minutes after I leave the house, don't say anything. Just call me and I can say, you know, hey, it's my kid on the phone. <laughs> so if I wasn't having a good time, I would at least, you know, I knew how, you know, I'd say I look at the restaurant and see like, okay, so their wait time is this. At least I can get, some, you know, the, the buttery mm. biscuits to go <laughs> in my order and be like, oh, my son having an asthma attack. Are you going to be okay, honey? I hear you breathing. I hear, okay. Okay, honey, I'm on my way. I got the medicine in my in my purse i'm coming i'm coming <laughs> get out of it can, can i get these this extra bag of buttery biscuits please wrapped up to go with my food yeah yeah just put some extra sauce on them shrimp too yeah because they dry out in the microwave i'm sorry honey we gotta go we can <laughs> We gotta go to I even want the soup. Can you wrap the soup yeah, up? It's <laughs> always great to have an escape plan. An escape plan is the best. Girl, I know how to order out when I get in the restaurant. I'll be like, oh I, I bring my own I got some Ziploc bags. We just put the breadsticks right in there. <laughs> Girl, don't, don't try me like a sample. I could you I could do this. <laughs> Ooh, especially oh, we gotta go as soon as they start talking about what they got oh my okay we we know who you are let's yeah. go drives me crazy that drives me insane i'm the that, queen and, and the <laughs> other thing that makes me really crazy is if i start to go out with someone and they're like i like the fact that you're independent and then two months <laughs> down it's like 
you don't need me for anything. Well, no, I don't need you. I kind of like you. Right. So you should, you should be, feel more appreciated that I like you and want to be around you that I don't need you. Right. But no, that's, I found that's not the case either. Strength scares people. Yeah. But mm-hmm. hey, what can you say? I get some, I get a good meal out of you. Yep. <laughs> I look at the positives because, uh, yeah, that, that surfing turf was delicious. <laughs> I tried this new restaurant I never could have afforded. Yeah. And nice. hey, let's, and I brought a to-go meal for the kids too. <laughs> <laughs> they loved it too. <laughs> like, like uh, whatever. Like, yeah, I look at it in a positive way. Yeah. I mean, you have to. But Especially like, in this day and time. Oh yeah, Lord. And, oh, and. I was gonna say, and the and one thing I will like not see you anymore if you just don't like don't have health insurance. Oh no! I just I can't do that no more. I can't no. take them chance. Nope. <laughs> no, no, They'd no. Be like I don't need health insurance. What you mean you don't need health? Insurance? Have you ever got an emergency bill? Emergency an ambulance ride bill? Alone? <laughs> oh. <laughs> no. No, no, a test a. <laughs> a swab I'm about to tell something that's just frightening right now I got my bill from my doctor from the beginning of this year until April 30th they have already spent $57,000 treating Fifty and I'm like if I did not have insurance I know good I, lord I, know. I just I can't I don't see why and I'm all, I'm going towards 50 right now and like when I was out there and, you know, in my forties and I would, you know, I'm like, okay, so I need to date older men and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, okay, they, they should be responsible enough. Cause I wanted to date somebody who was responsible, who was stable because I had a house, I had a car, my kids were almost grown up. You know, I had a 401, I had stocks and bonds. And so mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, let me go find a grown up. I go find a grown up just like me, you know. Yeah. And a girl, I'm going around, and these men are like, "Oh yeah, I don't have health insurance. Oh, I gotta go. <laughs> just being around you, you ain't even had your booster shot. So I gotta shoot. You might be carrying shingles. <laughs> shoot. Where is a Uber? At this, you don't even gotta take me home. Yeah, I'm, I'm close to fifty myself, and my mom has been telling me since I was in my thirties you need an older man you are not built for younger men they right. I don't handle the, you girl i don't got the time and i don't, I don't got the energy anymore <laughs> like, like you'd be like oh i want a nice young fine nope uh-uh, don't be up they'll tell me something let's go another time no i want to go to sleep That's no, what I'm, just, I'm like okay he's pretty to look at but no right. mm-hmm. i'll look at you from over here uh, yeah, I just I look at the menu. I just don't. Have, I don't need to order. I don't need not to at order. All. Not at all. <laughs> I learned, but like I was going out and I was meeting these men, making good money. And you're gonna say you you cannot keep your phone on. You yeah. cannot put money. You 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 can go get four twenty, but you don't have a four hundred one. There's something wrong with that, and you're you will be retiring. You know that in like 15 years, you you don't come to that. That should scare you that you have nothing put away. Nothing. Like who are you depending on? Because you ain't depending on me. 
because <laughs> once nope. once I decide to retire and you'd be like, hey, we going on trips now? No, I'm going on trips. Mm-mm. You got to work. Nope. <laughs> you, nope. you, you working. See, uh, I, I want the relationship a coworker of mine had. She got to retire early. Her mm-hmm. husband was a little bit older and he retired. And he was like telling her for a year, retire, retire, retire. Mm-hmm. Soon as she retired, they started going on. Tra- they always traveled, but Aww. now she was free to do whatever. And I called her, right. how are you liking it? She's like, I love it. We went here. We're doing this. We're going here. Like, oh, awesome. That's what I want. I that's want- a, yes, that's what I have, have aspired to, girl. And, and like when I got married again, it was like, it was so nice to be able to show up. Just show up. Like things are done and it's going to be taken care of and you just show up like, yeah. okay, your, your income is optional. You that's, know, you, yeah. <laughs> that's the best. Thing. That's the best. Yeah. Thing. You know, if, if, if you want to help out, you can help out. Oh God, you had me a hello, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it just, you know, it was so nice to be able to find somebody who had invested money, who had, mm-hmm. you know, two to three, four ones just sitting there, you know, and they're, they're funneling money into it they're like oh I can you know I, I'm working now but I'm saving for later and that word saving hardly ever come up with me and you know with guys anymore hey yeah. if you aren't safe you don't even have a general savings account you got a chime account <laughs> what the heck you got a yeah. chime oh I got cash app and a card what no are you you're dependent on cash <laughs> that's that's the only debit or the only card monetary card you have in your wallet at 50 years old that's a problem yeah that, that's a well, serious problem that's a that huge you red flag <laughs> so i'm and i'm not saying yeah okay you gotta have the the bentley you gotta have the, the mansion no you just you just gotta be able to take care of yourself because as I reach 40 and I'm getting all my kids out the house, I'm not trying to get another kid. I'm exactly. not trying to uh, take care of nobody. I want somebody to kind of like spoil me, you know, love me yeah. and just be okay. Like, Hey, okay. We got this together. You know, I, Hey, I'm your, I'm like a, a cherry on top of your Sunday. I make everything just better. You was okay, but now I make it better. Yes. Okay. I feel and, that. I feel that. <laughs> I do because when men find out like if a man finds out I have my own car my own house and they're like you have your own car it's your car you're paying for it yeah Uh it's your house I'm leasing it I'm owning this sucker I'm not renting it it's mine it's in my name yeah the house (laughs) is in my name the car is in my name all these bills are mine (laughs) right right so and they hear that and it to me, you can kind of see in their head the light bulb go off like, oh, free room and board. No, 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 no. Oh, yes. No, no, no. The only mm-hmm. person who gets free room and board is my child. Right. I don't <laughs> even want a dog at this point. I, don't, I barely want a plant. Uh, the only yeah. reason I have a plant is because I want fresh air in my house and something green to look at every once yeah. in a while. But I barely even water up. <laughs> 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 but I don't even want a dog. A, a, cat i don't i don't want any pets i don't want anything that i have to attend to on a daily basis and if if you are coming into my life trying to say oh well hey she can take care of her house so she can take care of me 
No, I'm not. No? I'm not trying to take care of nobody but Sylvia. I'm the not, one I'm, I'm trying to take care of. I'm trying to get out. <laughs> no, right. I'm taking I, care of this one so she can leave. <laughs> and it's amazing how, and I do address this even in the book I'm writing right now. I've addressed it where you bring stuff to the table and you have this, and it may not be much. You know, it just yes, it's just a small ranch house. It's a small Toyota, you know, but it's, it's something that I have. It's a steady job, a steady income, you know, and, and like small things. I'm, I'm putting something, but it's a value on the table. Yeah. And then you sitting across the table, he's sitting across the table and he's like, well, I got a good job. At this point, it, that don't cut it anymore. And you opt out of health insurance because you cheat. No. No, this or you got the cheapest insurance, you know, just to take enough out to, to, if, if you, you know, if you got a hangnail, <laughs> they'll cover it, but don't have an asthma attack. No. So I'm just like, I, I had to realize, and as, as I'm writing this book, I'm seeing a lot of things is that you, we as women, and like you said, black women are not putting large values on what we bring to the table like it's not really all about money anymore it's about that especially at our age it's about the the items the assets you know because at this point in our lives we don't need those liabilities we don't need any emotional material Mm -hmm. (laughs) liabilities anymore we now need to start getting assets in our life and if he doesn't bring enough assets to the table and i'm not talking about cars or I'm not talking about jewelry. I'm not talking about, oh, I got a vacation spot here. It's not even about that. It's more about the the 401. Do you have the Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance, not the priority health? We need Blue Cross Blue Shield (laughs) at this point in our lives. Like, this is the the premium. We need premium at this time. (laughs) And you need life insurance. Right. We need to see, we need to see life insurance policies. We need to see car insurance house insurance we need to see that you be you know you're adulting yes and a lot of times that we even though we didn't get that chance to run around with our friends in the club and meet those swarthy guys that you know would throw money at us you know it's it's we cannot in our 40s and 50s start to say hey let me live that life you can't Mm -hmm. it passed you by and you need to get serious about finding someone who either equals you or makes you into a better person or yeah. makes your life better. Because at this point we can't go down no more. We can't, <laughs> we cannot. A major point for me is support, support, not financial support, what I'm trying to do. Right. Support my writing, support, whatever I'm like, okay, I'm going to focus on this for a minute, support it. Don't feel like it's taking your time. Right. Or I'm trying to be better than you because I've heard that one. Or I'm Ugh. trying to be smarter than you, right. which drives me insane. It's just support what I'm trying to do, even if you right. don't fully understand it. Because I'm the type, if you want to do something, I'm all in. Let's mm-hmm. do it. As long okay. as it makes financial sense and you're not overexerting yourself or putting yourself in debt, I'm all for it. Right. I want right. that same level of support. Right. And that, and that, and that is even hard to get. And mm-hmm. I think we, we still, it's, it's, 
troubling when I see women still sacrificing. You did 18 years with this child and then you met this new guy and now you're doing more sacrificing for them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, at one point, you just got to sit back and say, you know, hey, it, it, it's got to be a little bit about me too. And yeah. if he is, if you're putting all your hundred percent into the relationship and he's just putting uh, every now and then again, Hey, here's some flowers. I hope you happy. Wow. You know, it's not, it's not even about bill paying. It's about, it's about the support I need emotionally and emotionally, um, emotionally and, and mentally yeah. in order to get to my next level. Because once we, we keep pushing each other to our next levels it pays off for both of us yeah and when you meet a guy who actually sees this and not intimidated by the fact that hey i i am doing this i am out there and i am making things happen for me that's a nice thing it is a nice thing but you really have to start thinking about the whole big picture of more of the future things that you need in your life and not about the immediate gratification of oh I, I love a Tiffany diamond I'm sure everybody would love a Tiffany diamond yeah. but so what yeah. I'd, I'd rather have I'd rather have my a fence around my whole house yes. than a Tiffany diamond because that's how much it's gonna cost <laughs> I would rather have somebody come and cut my grass oh good lord make- don't start me girl that make me excited I- oh, my <laughs> panties at it <laughs> But that's the thing. I've, I've, I'm not gonna lie. I've had when I was younger the men throwing money and jewelry and stuff at mm-hmm. me. I've had that, and you know what? It gets boring really fast. It does because it's like I'm gonna give you all this stuff, but I expect you to do whatever I say, whenever I say, however I say it. And it's like, no, you haven't met me then. <laughs> you don't know me because you, no. you, you do not ask that of me. I don't do that. Mm-mm. I do what right. I want to do. Thank I appreciate you. the gift, but. And then I'm one of those people. I don't wear jewelry. I just don't. So you buy me expensive stuff. It's going to end up in the jewelry box, lost, given away. Or your daughter going to get it. And then you're like, ooh, that's some nice earrings. I had some just like that. (laughs) I had some. Where'd you get those? Right. (laughs) So that didn't, it never impressed me. It was nice, but it was like, it's not impressive right i want somebody to support what i'm doing and i stopped writing for years because i was around people who made me feel like i was doing something that was impossible um i wasn't good at it right nobody's ever going to read that nobody wants to see that what what is that so you know it takes you have to hit your grown-up moment when you start doing it like why am I listening to you? And that's what it took for me. It's like, why am I listening to you? What are you doing? What have you got going on? Right. Your dream. And the people who were telling me these things were also in the same breath saying, well, you're never going to get a man if you do this, this, and this. And I'm like, well, I don't want that man if he's not going to like me. Because I do this. I want somebody who wants me because I do this, this, and this. Right. Cause that's you. So if, if this is what you do and this is a part of your life, your personality, like we were saying all the way from the beginning, my life did not start at this point of meeting you. My life started way before now. And this is a part of me. This is like my arm that, you know, you want to say, stop writing. Uh, it's not, you can't just rip my arm off and then, and I pretend to be happy about it. 
you ripped my arm off. You literally told me to stop writing, which means that I have to stop something of me, something connected to me. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that. You you really can't. I, it was so funny. My first husband, you know, we went through a lot of trials, a lot of physical, mental abuse. We we gone through the gamut of, you know, problems in our relationship. And I was like, I'm not going to leave this man. I'm going to be a good Christian woman and I'm going to suffer and pray and bear down. <laughs> Girl. So we, we going through the gambit, you know, we going to counseling, you know, we doing all this to try to keep our marriage together. And he, the, the counselor was like, we were talking about him smoking. He had started, he picked up smoking all of a sudden he started smoking. And I'm like, you can't smoke. We got kids who got breathing problems. You can't, you know, this is stupid. You're going to have to stop. So we, and the counselor was like, okay, so think about this, you know, about making a sacrifice, blah, blah, blah. So we get home and he says to me, he turns to me and he says, okay, so if I have to give up smoking, you have to give up writing. What? And I looked at him and I called my mother and I said, ma, he asked me to give up writing because I asked him to give up smoking. And my mom was on speaker and she was like, if I couldn't get you to give it up, then no one. <laughs> and she said, if you want Sylvia to leave, you, you continue this road. And he was like, I don't care. It's not fair. If I got to give up something that I love, then she's got to give up something that mm-hmm. she loves. And girl, the next day, I didn't say anything about it. It was the end of the conversation. And he really thought he had won. (laughs) But what he, what had happened was that I then started planning an exit. (laughs) I got up the next morning. I went to the, down to the store where they were having a truck. I gathered up all the boxes. By the time he got home from work, I had boxed up the entire house, had my dad come over and get the majority of the stuff out. And, and then I had already sent the kids over to my dad's house. And when he came home from work, I'm sitting there in the chair and I just simply said, I can't do this anymore. And he's like, Oh, this is just because I told you to stop writing. You took me seriously. I was like, you don't play. You don't play. (laughs) You don't play with me like that. You, you can take everything away from me. You can say, Sylvia, stop being Sylvia. You can say, Sylvia, um, stop eating that food. Sylvia, stop going there. Stop. But the moment you messed (laughs) with my writing is the moment I wake up and smell the coffee. I've woke up and you know, this, this coffee is not what I want to drink. I want a cappuccino. So I'm going to leave. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like, stop I mean, being you. Stop right. being you anymore. Right. I was like, I made all these sacrifices for this relationship, but I just cannot at this point in my life, take the one thing that has been with me my entire life that has been my happy place. And I knew it was a matter of control. I yeah. knew that he he wanted to do this as a matter of, I can control you now. I am your happiness. I am the center of your universe. I was like, well, it can't happen. It is not <laughs> going to happen. God put this in me. And I, you know what? Even the, even I can't take it yeah. out of me and I can't sit here and let it go. I will let this whole relationship. He's like, oh, you're going to just give up just like this. And he knew I was a person that hated to give up because I would be telling myself, 
if dumb people can stay together for 50 years, these <laughs> people have no sense. They hate each other. They, they halfway kill each other, but they stay together. Mm-hmm. I was like, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a smart, intelligent, highly literate woman. I can master marriage. But the moment he took that, he wanted to take that away. I was like, you know what? I, I guess I, I will be a failure and accept this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to listen to NDRE for a couple of days and be okay. <laughs> yeah, I think the thing is with people who aren't writers, they think it's something you can just switch off. No. You can't. It's, it's not possible. Even like I said, even I was with a, a few people who were like, you shouldn't do that. I still did it. It was on a smaller scale. It'd be like mm-hmm. little poems or little half stories or something or an idea. It would still happen, but it's not, you can't stop. If right. you're, if it's in you, you cannot stop doing it. Right. And eventually it's, it's going to be, it's either going to come out like a river or it's going to come out like a bomb. Yeah. You don't want it to come out like a bomb because it can destroy you. So you want to flow that. You want to keep that river flowing as a writer, as a creative. You do want to keep that river flowing and not allow people to dam up your, your, your flow. Yeah. And they will try to, trust me, they come in and they say little things. They drop little pe- pebbles here, there, here, there until you have this dam where your flow is not moving as efficiently as you want it to. And you really have to sit back and recognize and take like a self-care. And a lot of people, especially black women, don't do that. It's that they self-care constantly. And I even say, do it on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Take one hour to yourself and be you. Yep. Be you, do whatever you want to. And I would even tell my kids, when I come in the door, don't come up to me and be mommy, 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 yes. mommy. Because that's what you would literally hear on the phone. If I'm talking to you and I'm walking in my door, it'd be mommy, 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 mommy. I would literally say one hour. You got to give me one hour for me to change over from being the employee to the mom, to the head of the household. I need one hour because unless somebody is dying, it's not that important. If they dead, they can wait that hour till I come back out this room. Yeah. So they, they would literally, I would get that hour where I could change over and it was my hour. So if I decided to take a nap, if I decided to write a couple of chapters, if I decided to just read, if I decided to just catch up on half of a movie, yeah, it was my hour. I own that. And I encourage everyone to do it, especially black women, because yeah. we take so much stuff in and we become so a powerful impact to people and that that emotions those troubles those worries all just build up in us then we have nowhere to push it off yeah it just weighs you down it weighs you down till you just you you find yourself you don't even realize your soul is crawling and you wonder why you can't run is because you you are down on the ground and you're barely able to move and you do need to get that stuff off your shoulders at least once a day you need a reset that's why you do need to sleep because your brain needs a reset but your soul needs a reset as well and you need to say i owned one thing today one thing and that was my hour yeah. And that's what is so important. So and the thing that's is, my tip. <laughs> yeah, that's a great tip. Because when I, um, at my job, like I said, I work with, I don't know if I told you, I work with surgery residents. Mm-hmm. 
it's a lot it's overwhelming it's surgeons think they rule the world okay so it's a it's like a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. and working with some people who have those personality. I am one of those people, you ask me to do something, I'm going to do it. Right. Just my nature. Some people are okay with it. Like they'll ask me occasionally. Some people use it to their advantage. Right. And I end up with the brunt of a lot of stuff. And I knew when I needed self-care is because I call my mom every day since I got sick. I have to call her every day because if not, then something's wrong. Right. <laughs> so I call her and like I'm on my way home. I'll talk to her while I'm in the car and she's and she would tell me, You're doing too much. I can hear it in your voice. You sound exhausted. And I'll be like, I'm fine. No, you're not. You sound exhausted. And that's our biggest excuse is those two words. Yeah. Like if, I think if we erase those words, I, I literally tell myself not to say those words for a whole year. And it brought a new vocabulary of no. <laughs> no, I'm not. This is not going to happen. You know, it, it brought like a lot of that. When I start, I told myself not to use those two words. I'm fine. Yeah. When somebody addressed me or was concerned about me, I started to vocabulize how I felt outwardly because that's a lie it's all it, when someone says i'm fine it's usually a lie 99 percent it's a big lie <laughs> you the worst part is like smile. yeah and you're lying to yourself that's what's hurting the most it's not even messing with them it's hurting yourself the most yeah so i learned to i do it and i tell everybody like for one year don't say i'm fine and you will like be like, oh, girl, I don't know why she don't speak to me no more. <laughs> I, I but I to, feel good. <laughs> I have to take that in because I had, and this was recent, I want to say February. Um, I had, it took me to have a full on breakdown at work. Mm. Like I had to be sent home. It was bad. <laughs> it was it was one of those things where it started with a conversation and I was telling the person I was talking to, you know, sometimes you, you just get so stressed. I cry and it's not like, it's silent tears. Right. And it's usually stress relief or frustration. I wipe my face. I go on about my business. Mm -hmm. This particular day, somebody continued to push me and it, I kept saying, just give me a minute. Leave me alone. <laughs> Uh -uh. You know, I just, I'm going to do this. Just leave me alone. I'll talk I to can, you when I'm ready. I already feel it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, well, what's wrong? I don't want to talk about it. Well, what's the matter? I don't want to talk about it. Just leave me alone. And it continued until I was screaming at the top of my lungs, everything that was wrong. And, and then when I finally stopped, the same person was like, and and that's when it clicked in my head. Oh, you really don't care what's wrong with me. Because they said, I feel bad that you feel bad. What can I do to fix it? And to me, that was, I feel bad that I upset you and I don't want to be the bad guy. How can I save the situation so I don't feel bad? Not any of the stuff I told you you know, is, is heartbreaking, but how do I fix it? So I don't feel bad. Like I did this and I just was like, I'm going home. I'm, I'm going, I need a rest. I took the rest of the week off <laughs> like the whole week. 
And when I came back, I spoke to my supervisor and she was like, what's going on? And I laid everything out. I'm like, I'm not hiding anything anymore. I'm not fine. This is what it is. You know, this is what's been happening. I've been lying and saying, I'm fine. I had to go through a second treatment of radiation because cancer spared from my breast to my bones and where, and where it was sitting, the spots were right on the nerves in my hip. So to walk was killing me. And I would still say I'm fine. And I would shuffle up and down those halls in pain to the point where I would get in my car and cry until I got home. And what made me so mad is the person who kept saying what's wrong knew what was wrong. And when I told my supervisor and everybody else, I'm like, this is the problem. I've been taking on all of this stuff. I've been coming in early. I've been staying late. And I've told this person, you know, I need help. Because part of my job, I had to walk up and down stairs. And I'm telling you, I cannot walk up and down these stairs. It's killing me. Oh Jesus! And they never helped. I had to drag tables out, and I'm like, I can't do this. It hurts. Sat on their ass and didn't do anything. So I got to that point where it's like I am killing myself. I am doing more damage to my already damaged body, Uh while this person sits and makes it seem like everything is on them when it's really not because everything they're complaining about is stuff I've handled because they've asked me to handle it. So I had that breaking point and I told my supervisor, I am not doing this anymore. I cannot physically do this anymore. I cannot be everything Uh because I have to be everything here. And then I have to go home and be everything Everything there. there, And I also have to put on a happy face because I don't want my child who is my only child to think she's losing her only parent. Right. So keep it together. And there's no way where you can be yourself. Yeah. So my, my reprieve was my 30 minutes in my car on my way home. You know, I would cry, I would talk, I would argue, whatever I needed to do. So when I Uh pulled into my driveway, I was back to me. Right. So, you know, and I'm like, I can't keep doing this. I'm killing myself for this. I'm killing myself for someone who shows no concern for my well-being, but Uh says they do, but really don't. Right. And I have to take care of a child. You know, I'm not doing this anymore. Right. It's not happening. So since then, and since we've been home, like I'll get calls. Well, what happened? I don't know. Well, can you do this? (laughs) Nope. Uh -uh. Can you take care of that? Not doing it. Uh -uh. You You go girl. I I (laughs) applaud you because yeah, you you will. They will. Like my mama said, they don't never give anybody the keys to drive you crazy. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, are you serious with this? It's, it's like, it, it took, because I like to see, I know I see people for who they are, but I'm also a person who does above and beyond mm-hmm. just because I feel like it has to get done. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean I have to do it. But this is also the person, the same person who's like, I support you in everything. You've known me for four and a half years, has never asked about my writing, has never asked about anything I do other than lately it's been, what are you cooking? And I'm like, nothing <laughs> i know i'm a big girl i've put on weight i take a lot of medications i put on weight that doesn't mean i'm sitting in the house snacking and eating all right day. i'm not a salad eating chick yeah but. <laughs> i'm not but i'm also not sitting on 
sofa eating buckets of fried chicken. Right. I'm like doing stuff. <laughs> right. So, yeah, you know what surprises me is when I write characters like this, um, a lot of people say, well, they're making stupid decisions, especially when you said that part about you, you want to believe that people are better than that. You want to believe the best about people, yeah. no matter what you're going through. Like, yes, they see my pain and eventually they will see. And a lot of times I do write characters are like this. Like we just, we really want, we hope for the best for everyone. And then a lot of people will come back and put in the review. Well, she was stupid. Yeah that's that's not a realistic situation it is a realistic situation i don't care how smart i am i'm still a human being and i'm still hoping for the best yes i'm always hoping that this person will become better and actually see the humanity of the situation that you're causing and and even if you don't even when i'm drowning and i'm like still looking up like don't you see me drowning yeah and that's my whole family will tell me because i'm really i'm really close to my family my entire family lives in one area (laughs) like i can go and visit all of them right now Um, they're they're nuts but i love them but my entire family has been telling me for years you are not wonder woman right and I joke with them. I'm like, I never said that, but they're like, you do, you function like you're Wonder Woman. You are not Wonder Woman. Right. And my favorite joke is, you don't know that. You've never seen us together. Right. So, but, but we do need that hour to take off our cape. Yeah. And, I was like, I uncase that, that tight, that tight uniform that we yeah. always and <laughs> we that, let our boobies breathe yeah. a little. <laughs> and that's, that's what writing is for me. So even though I may have a horrible day and I may be in pain and my daughter's making me burnt pizza because that's usually how it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'll eat it and I eat it happily. But right. writing, I don't have to worry about the stress of it all. I don't have to worry about who's saying what or who's doing what or what kind of foolishness I'm going to have to walk into right. the next day. And this even though this quarantine is horrible, mm-hmm. it's very good for me because my mom has said, like I, I got to see my sister yesterday and we were over at her house. My mom was there and she was like, you have so much more energy. Mm-hmm. You don't seem weighed down. Because you're taking care of you. Because I'm taking care of me. And I still have to work from home, but then I can get up and go in the kitchen. I can go in the living room. I can write. I can Uh do arts and crafts. I can be at peace with what I need to do. And since we've been quarantined, I've written more. It's flowing out of me because I'm not all twisted in knots and tension and stress and worrying about things like what's going on and who's going to do this. And when I get back, I have to do this, this, and this. Uh I don't have to do this, this, and this. Other people can do that. Right. You really see the big picture when you're able to take care of yourself. You really see like what really is important in your life and in your happiness. Yeah. And it's not even about being, and a lot of people say, well, I just want success. And I I think that they're not uh, aspiring to the, the actual plateau they should be. They should be, they should want success be successfully happy yes that's what they should be aspiring to not just success I think you fall short and you're not reaching towards what you really should be reaching you should always be going for the successfully happy 
level because yes you can have success but then it's not the success that you need in your life but when you're successfully happy that's when you know you can reach that plateau of it you know what I know what matters to me I know how to get things even if I lose this I know how to get back to where I am yeah and that's You're important. Not holding on. Yeah, and that is important, especially for us. When <laughs> we yeah. got all these balls in the air, it's okay to drop those balls sometimes and just sit down and have that quiet moment, take care of you and write. And a lot of people say, Sylvia, because even now, I lost my mom at the beginning of this year for health mm-hmm. reasons. And then I lost my best friend like three weeks ago. And a lot of people mm-hmm. say, but you're still writing. We still see you out there. You're still, you know, showing what you're doing and things like that. And they're like, how are you doing it? And I said, because my writing is my joy. If, if I didn't write, I would probably be just crying in a corner somewhere and not wanting to do anything. But actually when I do write, it gives me power enough or dopamine enough to say, okay, let me get up and take care of myself. Let me get up and take care of the house. Let me get up and do this little thing. And then I need to hurry up and get back to my drug. (laughs) I think that's what, uh, why creative people flourish kind of in hard situations because we have an outlet like musicians and painters and all these things that are just you can pour yourself into it and just focus on it Mm -hmm. I think like I said creative people really thrive better because it's a outlet and it's in us to do it it's a comfort it's a familiar place Mm -hmm. so it kind of it works it works out that way and it's also kind of like a therapy tool so that's a superpower yeah (laughs) it's a really good superpower it's an awesome superpower (laughs) oh my god i can't believe we've been talking like this i know it's from flowers (laughs) i (laughs) i love talking to you but i'm gonna let you go and because i can hear my daughter walking up and down the hall (laughs) probably wants something (laughs) Thank you. This has been awesome. I love this. This is fun. so great. I just, I love, and I even, um, I've been doing like little tags on the end of these say, saying how much I appreciate everyone talking and coming on the show and speaking because for a while, for like maybe the first three weeks when this started, I was so in my shell and terrified mm-hmm. because I am high risk. And my mom's high risk and my aunt's high risk and my grandfather's 92. So, and where I live, I'm 30 minutes away. But like I said, I can hop in the car and go see them, all of them, but I can't. And they don't want to get me sick. Right. So it's been helpful because it's taken me out of the mindset of you're trapped in the house to you can be more productive. You can meet other people. You can still Uh socialize. And talk to people about what you love without leaving your house. So I do appreciate it. Oh, this has been awesome. Yeah, especially about just, yeah, helping me see a lot of things that, you know, has been a benefit, you know, that I've done, even though it's been a struggle. It's all all a benefit. It's a teaching lesson for me. (laughs) (laughs) When I can go back and say, hey, okay, I did this, but now I know how to do it. And even though I had to learn it in the fire, (laughs) I'm solidified to know it later in life. (laughs) Yeah, it works out. All the struggles pay off. 
Yes, I'm glad it does. I think that's what a lot of people need to see. I think they, there is so many people with immediate gratification now. You know, even now you can even see it even worse because they can't even stay in the house for five weeks. I know. <laughs> but they want immediate gratification. They want immediate now. They want to immediately do things. And, you know, they're like now 16 year old. They're like 16 year olds again. Like, why? Why? I'm grown. I'm grown. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like you really get to see who you are and the breadth of your your struggles once you wait. And then it comes back to say, hey, you did this. Yeah. You got through it. You're yeah. here. You're above ground and you're you're doing okay so I think that's the the wonderful part about all of this is that we're here we are here and we're gonna be here yeah and after this is all over even it might be two years from now to say that you are still here when so many people were not yeah you know it's gonna be you you gotta walk in your blessings you gotta just every step you take you just gotta just be grateful because a lot of people will not be here and you have to come to that that conclusion of it that thank you thank you thank you just start yeah. saying that all the time all the time <laughs> so well, yes thank you for joining me thank you for having me you are awesome you're awesome once again i'd like to thank sylvia hubbard for joining us you can follow her on sylviahubbard.com You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, as always, happy reading.